Welcome to the Indie Experts Podcast, where we're unlocking all the secrets you need to know about writing, producing and publishing non-fiction books that really work hard for authors. Join Dixie and Anne as they help you navigate all the tricks, traps and the majestic tapestry of storytelling as a means of sharing your expertise to your market. So we're just going to uh, start this month's um, masterclass or authority masterclass and welcome along our guests from wherever they may come from today. And uh, we've got um, fabulous Anne Dottori Wilson as, as our um, CEO and leader and, of course, yeah. Ali, our publishing assistant. And so what we wanted to really focus on conversation about today more than anything was this issue that's come up a few times lately for me and that's talking about writing case studies. And so with our books, and Anne will be the first to jump up and say, this is really critical. Um, we have to write stories. We have to do good storytelling when we're writing books, when we're writing anything that gets people's attention. Um, and Anne, you work a lot in fiction as well as nonfiction and um, do you want to talk a little bit about the, the value of actually getting good stories into into text? Um, well, one of the really powerful things about a good story is people remember it. You know, you can give them a formula or you can give them, you know, some sort of piece of advice about your expertise. But, and you know, if it's dry and if it's just, you know, how to do it, then they're more likely to forget. But if you add a story with it and actually make that connection, then you're more likely to actually engage with the information, remember the information, and then actually act on it. So that sort of the story is, you know, it, it's actually what makes it real for people. Whereas sometimes, you know, we'll get things and it's just like, oh, this is just so dry. But, you know, you put that story in there with it and you can make what is seemingly very dry and technical subject quite interesting and reader-friendly, especially if you're going for a market that's a bit broader than, you know, if you've got a technical book and you're going for, you know, if you're doing an engineering book and you're going for engineers, then, you know, some stories are still great. But if you've got an engineering book that you want to actually put out to the world because you've come up with some new concept, then you need to have stories. You need to make it relevant. You need to make it so something that people relate to. Otherwise, they're just going to put it down because we've got information overload. We really do. Oh, yeah. I was talking to someone the other day. Um, we've got clients who are writing case studies in their, in their books because we encourage them to do that. Um, it's important, especially when, um, when things are dry. You know, you've got to have uh, something like, for example, in a leadership book or a book that's targeting CEOs, uh, they're so busy reading reports that a good story or something that really pulls them in is going to be something that makes the, it feels like a, a holiday from whatever they're normally reading. Um, it's more engaging. It's more, uh, it's more interesting. It's kind of like a, a take your brain out and just kind of park it into something that's a little bit more easily digestible for the time that they're reading it rather than worrying about um, whether they've got to take their pen out and make notes, et cetera. Because um, stories help make the facts sticky as well. Um, and one of the biggest challenges that seems to come up with telling case studies is that 
people say, oh, but I can't get permission to tell that, or this is a confidential situation, or these are the things that we can do and we have done, but we can't tell anyone about it because the client would never agree to tell the story. So one of the easiest ways to get around that is to uh, take the story and make it a anecdotal story based on maybe two or three people that you may have worked with or two or three examples of what you can or can't do and give give it that way yeah fiction based on fact so you know fiction change based. the names change the context but you know the fact is still real it's just mm. the people and I think part of the other thing with um writing good case studies and good stories is to, there's a fine line between not writing enough and writing too much. You know, you've just got to work out what detail, you know, you don't need to have every ounce of detail in there. It's, you know, just an overview to give a good, you know, good context to the story. Yeah, and I think, you know, and I'm thinking of something we're working on at the moment, which is um, a book which is quite a, a new way of thinking and it is definitely one that would um, benefit from some more case studies because, you know, just to make it easier to understand. Because, you know, when you're writing a case study, people don't need to know the in-depth pieces of the information. But you can write something, for example, um, where... Um, so someone was, was talking about a book the other day that we're working on and um, uh, started talking about the X factor, so people having the X factor and, and then sort of saying, you know, hey, Justin Bieber and, you know, Taylor Swift and all those sort of people have got this in common. Um, well, yes, they have, but why not start that, that whole chapter, that whole story, that whole piece by starting to talk about this young kid who's standing on the streets of and he's doing his thing and he's dancing and he's got his boombox and, you know, Usher walks along and blah, 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 sees him, thinks he's amazing and, you know, the rest is history. Hey, welcome to the world, Justin Bieber. So you can actually write that kind of a story because it's already somewhat famous. Um, but then you can also take that same sort of example and say, right, uh, I met this guy, walked into my office, this was what he was dealing with. Uh, we'll call him Bob for the sake of the story. Uh, and these were the issues that he was faced with. So, um, you know, his, his, his technology had, you know, completely melted and he'd lost all of his work and, and, you know, we had to do this and we had to do that to actually get that back on track. And, you know, over the course of the next three months, we put all of these things into place so that that never happened again. And he is the happiest man on the planet because, you know, we fixed this problem for him and this was how easy it was. Um, but you can condense it. You would have a lot of case studies. Um, yeah, a, a fair number. Um, yeah, we we run into the problem of people are too scared to actually put names to what happened, um, as you can understand, because yeah. it has a, a, a real bad stigma with some of the things that do happen. Um, but we are in we get into the habit of uh, generalising in a number of ways. Yeah. Like we'll just say it, uh, one of the people we were working with was. Um, and uh, you know, a large company or small organisation, that type of thing. Um, just to bring it back to some, some sort of reality, because uh, as you can understand in our field, the moment you start talking about the technical side of it, everybody glazes over and then you have a major problem because they're not listening at all. Um, this, one of the reasons I, I write the stuff that I write on LinkedIn is because um, most of it is triggered by something that happened 
um, whether it is I've read something in the new, uh, uh, on the internet or one of our clients has, has the experience or something along those lines. And I try to bring it down to a condensed version of one point in our six part environment that we work with. Yeah. Um, and if I can do that, uh, it then just gives it a bit more character and people actually start, oh, shit, that happened to us. Um, and that makes it a lot easier for the people to digest some of the, the high-end stuff that we're talking about a, a, a lot of times when we're doing yeah, meetings with management. And we have to start, um, we have to find ways of getting around some of their thinking. Um, oh, I because, imagine. Yeah, uh, you know, it's um, most people are locked in when the moment you enter, uh, uh, mention cyber, uh, the moment you uh, that, that, that that connotation of cyber, it's an IT issue. It's not a management issue. It's nobody nobody at this table has anything to do with that. The trouble is with cybersecurity, it is all about the people you're talking to, to at the moment, um, and that makes it very difficult to trans transcribe their attitude in a way that they're actually going to focus on what we're talking about. And as I said, um, we we literally say. We're not talking about cybersecurity. We're talking about business security and the requirements of the business to be secure. That way we get it away from, shit, that's an IT problem. It's now, let's talk about risk. Let's talk about what you're going to do as an organisation to protect the data you're collecting. Um, once we've got through that component, then most people are receptive to actually understanding what we're talking about. Um, but it's that, that huge hurdle is, uh, is getting people to realise yeah, and I imagine a lot of people would be, it'll never happen to me. Yep, never happened to us. Too small to be a target. Too small. Yeah, um, we have nothing worth stealing. There's a three that we often get, and that's, that's, that's hugely problematic when you're thinking about people who all they have to do is win once, um, and that's all it's about. They, they only have to win once, um, and then after that, your world changes, and you now have a monumental problem. Um, I was listening to a, pod, uh, a, a speech by, or a lecture by a lecturer yesterday about some of the crazy ideas that are now coming through for how we can manage security. And she came up with some really good ideas, but they are left field. Um, some of the, she's taking some of the lessons from Europe and America about how we can manage um, security within an organisation. The trouble is in Australia, the uptake of that is going to be very difficult because we haven't got, uh, in, in Europe, we've got GDPR. In America, we've got a thing called the Shield Act. But by Christ, they've got some teeth. Um, and literally, if you are an organisation, doesn't matter how small or large you are, and you have been compromised or you're not looking after the data properly, it will cost you seven figures. Okay, so that means that you're going to actually start focusing on it. In Australia, we get a slap on the wrist if we, if we get anything, and that's hugely problematic. You also raised a point earlier um, on something I was reading from you, Roger, where um, you said there's something, um, the, the, the ways that the, the dark side are encouraged to go in and um, find holes and look for, for the, the ways in. Yep. If you if you were to, which was you know again as I said before you know you always make me think about you know security in, in really interesting ways, but if you were to take something like that as an example and talk about uh, it even from the from the hacker's point of view, and and create a story around um, you know Bob the hacker 
who who sits in his room and um, eats pretzels and you know drinks beer and and his work time is you know one o'clock in the morning till four o'clock in the morning um, and he's doing you know create a make him a person yeah. so we can actually picture him more strongly in some of what you write as as case study type scenarios yeah. and say you know this is what he is paid to do. Yeah. And this who is pays him? Is he get paid from the information he steals, or is there is he like an employee of? Um, interesting question because um, most of the uh, well, yeah, okay. Um, I teach a boot camp class at um, at uh, University of New South Wales. Uh, that boot camp is literally for people who need to uh, gain an understanding of what the hackers can do. Now, when we're, talk- when we're talking about what's happening, um, there is no single person that causes a problem. It is usually a conglomerate or an organisation that has people who come in and go out of it. Um, we've all heard about Anonymous and, and, and how they work together. Well, Anonymous is, is a conglomerate, okay? Um, what, what we're now seeing, and this is from research that I've been doing, is some of the nation states um, to get better training for their hacking teams will send them through uh, places like Anonymous, uh, there's about nine or ten of them. Um, they will get their training, they will get their education, they'll get their skill sets from working with Anonymous, and they will then bring that back to the nation states and train up their own teams. Um, this is something we've only seen in the last two or three years, but it's having a really big impact on how we protect ourselves because the simple fact that these people have now got excessive skills that are really, really scary stuff. And they are teaching their teams. And in addition to that, um, a a hack, for instance, let's say I'm doing a scam and I send everybody an email. So um, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to target or I'm going to do some research to find out who my target is going to be. I'm going to then use that information and talking to other people in the teams about how I can... Um, we can get the uh, the piece of malware attached to that uh, scam, send it out to the right people, have them actually open it, uh, infect their computer. The ransomware is then delivered from another team. Uh, the, the negotiations is ended up by another team. And this then becomes a huge organisation. And each one of these people is making 10%, 15% of the profits, okay, just depending on what they're doing as part of that. Um, attack that they're doing Um, and that again these are the things that people don't realize are happening out there most of the targets we see random attacks the the person at home that opens up an email uh, clicks on a link that's automatic stuff that happens in the background and it literally is I'm going to send you a link and we can we can do this in a laboratory it takes 15 minutes compare compile the um, the email put in the link, work out what the back end is going to do, make it look like something. So it looks like it came from Facebook, for instance. You need to reset your password, press here to do it. Um, the number of people we can catch in that, just in that test environment, is phenomenal. But it's still just a random attack. Um, when you are specifically targeted, now you've got a bigger problem. So, Roger, one of the things that comes to mind for me when we think about the idea of you you know, positioning your expertise in such a way that people understand 100% you are the master of that level of knowledge is for you to actually be talking 
um, when we're talking about case studies and stories and, and the way you present your information is actually sharing some of that from a point of view of this person does this. This person comes home, turns on their computer and this has happened um, and actually make that person, you know, a, a fictional, obviously for the purpose of a case study, but, but make that a real person so that people can engage with the concept of the story that you're telling and actually really see this as being not just some random um, person who maybe or maybe doesn't really exist, but it actually brings it really home to you because if you're talking about it either from the perspective of the hacker or the perspective of the person who has been hacked or the person who is being unwittingly naive about what they're doing, then you have the ability to get people to really sit up and take notice as opposed to an easier option, which might be, now let me bullet point these points that people need to know about. Yep. Um, because when you're talking about the reality of what's going on, whatever the situation is, and we deal with some doctors, for example, who have the same issue with they are restricted by what they can say from a patient-client um, doctor confidentiality issue, as do lawyers. Mm. So we've worked with a number of those as well. Because of what they can say because of the AMA. and you yep. know. And so what, what they can do is they can say, well, let's consider this as an example. Um, when Mary Jane does this and she does this and then she does that and then this happens, then we have a situation that we need to actually address. Yep. And it doesn't matter whether Mary Ann has six kids or no children, whatever, these are still the issues that she has to address and this is how we approach that or this is how we did approach that for someone exactly like Mary Ann. Mm. Um, so you kind of start really getting people to sit up and take notice because they're understanding that you're talking about the person who sits next to them in the office or the person who you know, comes home to them at the end of the day or their flatmate or their um, you know, significant other because you're actually making the reality of what's going on in your world come to life in a way mm. that. Mm. And I really like the idea of bringing the other side to life, you know, yeah. the hacker side yeah. to life. Because well, we all love it. You know. Talk, talking to you two because you write books. Um, I'm, I'm I'm in the process of writing my third one at the moment. Um, and it, yeah, it's sort of one of those things that if I haven't got anything to do, which has been very rare in the last couple of weeks, um, <laughs> uh, I try to knock over. Uh, it's not so much a chapter, but a point that I want to bring across. Um, but one of the things that I have noticed over the last probably six months that I've been working on the project is my thinking has changed along and a lot of it's down to what Dixie has been posting is I have to actually incorporate humanity into some of the things that we're seeing. Um, and, and I agree. And that um, I have to put those personality components into my conversations about what they're, what they're doing. Um, there are so many ways that people can manipulate others. Um, and just as, as I said, a couple of weeks ago, I've been, We've been thinking about um, not so much a a new part of the business, but something that we've we're actually getting really compassionate about. Um, we run Fairstar Computers, which is a a, a computer shop in in Canberra. Um, the number of people we have come through our doors that have been infected, haven't got a backup, uh, are old and uh, and uh, uh, retired, um, uh, is phenomenal. 
Um, it's probably 30% of our traffic that literally walks in the door. One of the things that we've been thinking about and playing, playing around with is having a service where people can, um, because we know what's going on, so we can talk about scams, we can talk about what, what you need to do with an email scam or a phone scam or that type of thing. Um, what we've been playing with is something where we can get uh, people to focus on what may be the problem and then talk to us about what they think is the problem and we can then straighten them out in a number of ways. But to do that is, as you can understand, very intensive because we've now got to think outside the box with what people are actually being targeted with. Um, we've got a We've already put together an article for, for, for the website that is nine ways you can be scammed. Um, and, and that's just scratching the surface. It really is. The, the, you know, that includes, uh, uh, I'm from Microsoft, I need access to your computer. Um, uh, we've just changed our account details. You need to change your account details the next time you pay a bill. All of those sort of things. And some of the people we're talking about with retirees, self-managed super funds, um, access to high-end finances, which makes them a prime target. Um, so we're, to me, we've got to start showing people that the digital world is something that you've got to be really, really wary about. Um, and that's where some of my problems come from because um, we've, got to, we've got to highlight the problems, but we don't want to scare people. And that's a fine line to walk down. That's where the power of story actually gives you that control because mm. you can actually demonstrate what could happen, but then you can also demonstrate what can be done and you can take the story and soften it or, um, or increase the intensity of parts of it the way you want to, which would be really powerful. Um, we're going to wrap this up fairly soon, um, but I just wanted to kind of bring in the concept of if you are thinking of writing great content and you want to really bring in story, two great authors that I know who do it brilliantly, one is Malcolm Gladwell, who I'm such a big fan of, he really takes you through from the beginning to the end of his books by delving in deep to a story or an example of something that's being done or a situation, and he will guide you through the entire story. So you almost feel like you're reading a novel as you turn each page, and then he will pull out what the points are of that story. Now, he's someone who does that brilliantly, and my understanding is that his books are read from cover to cover very, very easily. And um, as, as are ours, we're sure. But, but we, you know, when you breadcrumb something through the power of the stories that you're telling as well, where you're saying, and by the way, we have more about this at the end, or you can go to our website for more on what the outcome of that particular situation was, yep. then you can really get people engaged in reading your, reading your book or reading your information um, and taking a lot more out of it. The other one that I think is worth mentioning is Carmine Gallo, who talks about the power of delivering story as part of what you do, whether you're speaking, whether you're presenting at the, in a boardroom, whether you're talking on a TED stage, uh, whether you are writing a book, whatever it is that you're doing, how to tell good stories. So he uses the power of story within the context of when he's teaching how to write good story. So those are a couple of great authors who do it brilliantly. And I believe you can take any topic, whether it's um, technical, engineering, leadership, um, medical, legal, anything, 
can be demonstrated really well with the power of good storytelling. And if what you're wanting to encourage people to do is really tap into your length, breadth, and, and the shape of your knowledge, then doing that by explaining and, and demonstrating exactly what you're capable of and the kind of situations that you get faced with is the most powerful way you can do that. Mm. Ali, did you want to add anything in from the perspective of someone who reads a lot of um, technical content from university papers and things like that? What are your, so, what's your take on storytelling? I, um, I completely agree. I think storytelling is one of those things that if you can make it accessible to people so that they can actually understand what you're trying to get out instead. Like I am, um, because I'm, I'm studying psych, I read an awful lot of lab reports and really big journal articles. And it, what I think <laughs> they could gain, gain a lot from is just instead of trying to, well, it's, of course it's important to get across your technical information. If you can do that in a way that's actually engaging someone so that they understand why they need to know it instead of just going, oh, this is, this must be important and there's lots of big words. But if you can actually give people a reason why they understand or why, why it's important to them, then you recall a whole lot more. Like, yeah. And I imagine with like Roger's topic, you know, people that are reading your stories and that sort of thing, there are certain things that you can explain to them that they can implement themselves. Yep. But for most people in business, they're just going to want to know, A, the stories, B, that you know what you're going to do and then come to you to get yeah. to it because they don't need to know how to do it. No, no. Well, we, 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 work, on, we work on the principle that um, the idea behind some of the things that we talk about is there is a easy implementation. We, take it, we, we talk about taking you out of the reeds and putting you halfway up the tree, okay? Now, the halfway up the tree stuff is the basic stuff. If you do the nine basics that we need to put in place to start off with, then you are already in a great place. Now you've got to consider what would happen if you were specifically targeted. And that's where the next part of it comes into it. But if we can take all the random stuff out, then 99% of people are going to be a lot more secure than what they are at the moment. Um, it's, again, uh, the ideas behind getting people to that level um, is what we're working on as a, as a business. We, we literally go, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to look at your risks, you need to work out your resilience, all that sort of stuff. Once you've done that, you are now long, no longer an easy target. And if you are no longer an easy target, now we can, we can rest, now we can sit back and go, what else do we need to put in place? Um, and we call it a threshold. That threshold is, okay, you are going to be able to counteract a random attack on your uh, on your business um, that gives you a lot more power within your organization to be able to continue forward but you also got to now worry about you're now successful you are not a target of a random attack which means someone's going to actually physically target you in some way and that's where things like uh, social engineering comes in um, uh, understanding what people are actually um, doing and how they're how we're teaching them to to be aware of what's going on um so getting people to that threshold is is literally our game and if we can do that then we are in a better place so one of the things that we did because what you've talked about is a system or a process of getting people to understand things one of the things that we've done last year is we wrote a book called authority island which is all about making sure that people understand what the journey is, what the steps are, what those specific points are along the way to understanding where you need to 
be focusing your attention, what sort of information you need, what sort of things to ask of the experts, um, things like that. But we've actually done it as a comparable. So we've, we've taken three authors' examples of, sorry, examples of three different types of authors' experiences of writing their own books and publishing them and what the different levels of outcomes were based on those experiences. And what we did was we actually said, hey, let's, let's take all of the case studies that we know we're coming across and let's make this a story that we're, that we're writing about three made up characters that kind of represent all of the people that we deal with. And we make it so that we've got these three general outcomes that happen through the power of a story. And you can do the same with what you're talking about. You can actually say, look, um, and actually uh, uh, there's another guy who wrote a book called Book to, uh, Built to Sell who does this brilliantly. Um, his name is Jack something or other. I'll remember it and add it to the comments later. But um, he wrote a book called Built to Sell in exactly the same way, um, positioning himself as the consultant who is then guiding a, a couple of people through the various steps along the way of what they needed to know because these were the, the risks or these were the points that they needed to uh, to address as they started to get their business ready to sell. So you can do that kind of thing with a lot of different um, business types and, and industry types as well. Create the characters who are going through the journey that they're being guided by, by the, the, you know, the genie in the bottle or the mentor or the coach or the whatever. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, John Warrillow, Built to Sell. It's a great example of that same kind of storytelling that you can use to demonstrate the points or the, the point that you need to get people to to start thinking about what you then can bring them, bring solutions to them for. So there's lots of really cool ways of using story and using case studies mm. that don't mean you have to just sit there and say, so Bob walked into the office and this was what his problem was and this is what we did and this was the outcome because that's boring. But if you've also got good case studies and then you're getting your, your authors or your, your clients or your, your um, people that you're helping to then write good reviews of what you've done then that also adds weight to the case studies mm. that you create. What's, what's sort of really, really powerful about story writing as well is that um, if you can write a good story where you can get your point across, your, your technical point across really well without actually explaining it, people, um, you then spend less, less time and effort trying to actually teach people what they need to know yep. because they've already got this understanding of it because they get the concept from the story. And it's sort of like a, it's a really powerful way to give yourself less, less work sort of down the track, but then people understand stories much better than they do technical language. Yeah. They absolutely do. So thank you, um, everyone who's contributed this morning. It's been a really interesting conversation. Um, hopefully, um, everyone who's listening to this later on as well will understand that there are so many different ways that you can use story to demonstrate your points and to really, as Ellie just said, make it easier for yourself to position what your expertise is and what you need them to understand before you even start working with them. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so basically it comes down to this. Tell more stories, use case studies, um, think outside the box about how you tell those stories and engage people more with the technical or the medical or the legal information that you need to share with them. And, uh, and it's part of the authority journey. So there we go.
I'm going to wrap that up. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here today. And um, if you've got more questions or more things that you want to know about how to do great stories with uh, writing books or writing documents or presenting, then uh, let's have that conversation. Thanks, Stacey. Much appreciated. Well, that's one more flag on the map clearly identified. For extra author resources to make your journey even more enjoyable and stress-free, visit www.indieexperts.com.au. You can locate us on all our social media platforms by just searching for Indie Experts. Join Dixie and Anne next time for more navigating the journey of sharing expertise through publishing books that work harder.